This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast in the Times, I'm Matt Chorley. Well, I've escaped the Westminster bubble again and this time headed north to Scotland to try and find out what is really going on. Are the SNP on the wane? Are the Tories on the cusp of an historic breakthrough after years in the political wilderness? What future for Labour north of the border and wither the Lib Dems as ever in this election campaign? My journey begins on an early morning flight from Southampton to Edinburgh as I go in search of some ordinary voters. I think Theresa May's no-show has definitely had an effect on, I mean, whatever poll you decide to believe in. Um, I think she probably thought it was maybe a foregone conclusion, but I don't think it's going to be that. It could be a bit closer so now I've actually, um, I've changed. Um, I'm not voting SNP, I know that, but I'm going between, I was maybe Conservative and maybe now I'm going over to uh, Labour. What are the issues for you that, that play out which way your vote? Okay, so firstly, um, I think obviously the NHS is huge and education. Um, I'm fortunate that my sons are through that side of things. We definitely owe it to them to provide some something and the way that things are sounding at the moment um, it's not looking too good for a NHS I don't think. No, my father always followed Labour so I, oh, okay. I, I went the same direction as him. I am a, a supporter of Jeremy Corbyn um, I'm also a union rep at my okay. place of employment so USDA support Labour government. Yeah. How do you think he's done in this campaign? He's been a bit dubious, I think, isn't it? Um, people have doubted him in the past, but he, he seems to come through when it, uh, when it matters. I don't know what to say. I, I think I'd rather go with him than Theresa May. And what about Nicola Sturgeon the SNP? I think Nicola, again, is just trying to boost her own ego, I think, by demanding referendum in DREF2. I mean, the people have already voted. Uh, they don't want it. I think there's enough... Um, problems in this world without um, going through that again. What is the, what's the mood in Scotland for the voting for the fourth time in as many years? No, I think it's been going for so long that four or five elections at a time, so we're no longer interested. We want independence, there's no debate about independence, we want 
to stay in Europe is no debate about staying in Europe, it's all about Brexit. So it's apathy. And where more and more stuff has been devolved to Edinburgh, it means the national conversation between Theresa May and Jeremy Corbyn plays no part at all in your what's going on here. Exactly. I mean, I think the, the personality politics of Theresa May and Corbyn doesn't interest us. I mean, Labour are so weak here with the Dugdale not involved, you know, she doesn't even like Corbyn. So. And is everything in politics in Scotland seen through the prism of independence? At the moment. Yeah. You know, you're either unionist and you don't want to talk about it, or you're independent and you're, it's an issue all the time. I'm joined now by Alex Massey, a Times columnist based in Scotland. Um, so Alex, we're sitting in Edinburgh, which is a sort of hotbed of interesting seats in this election campaign. Give us a quick tour of the city as to why there are so many interesting battles going on. Well, I mean, Edinburgh has five constituencies. At present, they are all held by the SNP except for Edinburgh South, which is held by Ian Murray, Labour's only Scottish MP and likely to be Labour's only Scottish MP after this election too. Um, but after this election, it's quite possible to see how uh, Edinburgh could be a bit like Berlin, divided into four <laughs> zones, four sectors. Um, the Liberal Democrats are favourites to win in Edinburgh West, um, the SNP in Edinburgh East, Edinburgh North and Leith, uh, and then there's uh, Ian Murray at Labour in Edinburgh South, and the Tories have a chance, uh, an outside chance, but a chance of taking Edinburgh South West, which is Alistair Darling's old seat. And Edinburgh has never actually really been a, an SNP stronghold for a number of reasons. Partly it's an affluent city, um, uh, and also a city with an unusually high percentage of people who were uh, born in other parts of the UK, not born in Scotland. Uh, this is a polite way of saying it's full of English people. Um, <laughs> who, and um, seats like that, seats in uh, where that's the case, it's the case in the borders and Dumfries and Galloway as well, uh, are places that heavily voted no in the independence referendum in 2014 and are disproportionately likely to endorse Conservative candidates um, at this election. And what's happened to the SNP? Because they've just marked 10 years of being in power in Scotland. Have they peaked? Is, 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 I mean, well, the peak is, was so high in 2015 hmm. to have won 56 of the 59 seats. Yeah. They could still win 50, and that would be extraordinary, but it would be viewed as a terrible blow. Yeah, exactly. This is one of the paradoxes of the Scottish election, um, that the SNP are going to win by any measure a thumping victory, even if they were to go down to 45 seats. Um, you know, 45 out of 59 and, say, 40% 40 of the vote in a four-party system uh, is a remarkable achievement. But you're absolutely right. It would be seen as a disappointment. Uh, 2015 was the, a remarkable sort of tsunami election in Scotland. Uh, it built on more than a decade of SNP advances and so uh, therefore in some ways that has to be peak nat yeah. um, because you know it's very difficult to do better than 50% of the vote when there are three other parties. Um, uh, so the Tories you know if they come second with say 25-27% of the vote in this uh, Scottish portion of the election uh, they will then use that as a, a grounds to claim victory um, uh, just as Labour even if they lose the election across the UK uh, but do better than expected will use that as a, as a means to, to say that they uh, are the w real winners of the election that Theresa May despite winning it has also somehow managed to lose it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now you, as part of your job uh, you've been to all the manifesto launches sketch writing for the yeah. Times of Scotland What's been your sort of highs and lows of the campaign? What's the bits? What's the bits uh, of the campaign that you've enjoyed? Well, I mean, the, you know, the the contrast um, 
you know, the day before yesterday, we had uh, earlier this week, we had the SNP manifesto launch in Perth. Thousand um, ordinary party members turned up for it, uh, filling Perth Concert Hall, um, and it was a rally. It was a proper uh, political event. Um, you know, you had the distinct sensation that um, that the SNP is, is more than just a political party, it's a movement and a cause. And you, um, well, you described it as that they came to worship at the altar of St Nicola. Yes, yeah, yeah, well, I'm assuming she could do no wrong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although one of the interesting things that we've seen from a, an Ipsos Mori poll this week, for the first time some of her, her approval ratings have gone negative. Uh, which is a remarkable transformation, um, considering where she was when she first when yeah. she took over from Alex Salmond in 2014. Then, of course, she benefited enormously from the fact that she was not Alex Salmond, yeah. um, who'd become an extremely polarising and divisive figure. Well, she is now as well. Um, uh, but within the nationalist church, um, you know, she could still do no wrong. And there's um, the the faith that SNP voters have in her is quite remarkable. Yeah. Um, and you know, as to the manner in which she can sell, you know, sturgeon memorabilia uh, in a way that just doesn't really exist with many other pol UK politicians, with I suppose perhaps the exception of Jeremy Corbyn yeah. too, where there is a sort of slightly cult-like quality yeah, to yeah. some of his supporters. Um, so you have the SNP there, and you know, you always do feel that you know you're part of something bigger at these big SNP events, and so on. Even if you find them slightly terrifying, because you know <laughs> you have thousands of people who all agree with one another on everything and anything. You know, you know, political parties. You know, we should treat them with you know, considerable scepticism, I think. So we learned from that, which in one sense was um, sublime, uh, to the ridiculousness of the Lib Dems and UKIP yesterday. Um, you know, UKIP uh, uh, shambles, journalists outnumbering uh, civilians uh, three or four to one, um, uh, painting a, a picture of a sort of Scottish dystopia of Scotland, one of the worst places in the world, full of some of the worst people in the world. And then David Coburn was always saying, you know, uh, you know, we want Scots to stay in Scotland, um, having just made it seem as though emigration was the only sensible thing you could do. Um, uh, and then the, the, the Lib Dems, who always have to do things to slightly differently to get any attention because they're very much the, the fourth party. Um, so that's why you've had Willie Rennie, the Scottish Liberal Democrat leader, uh, you know, he, he's, he's sort of been wrestling with sheep and and, um, hugging alpacas, and yesterday he was, for reasons that remained utterly mystifying, you know, painting. Or you know, why well, I say painting, it was um, dipping a sponge into a plate of orange paint, and and then you know, smearing the sort of Lib Dem motif uh, on on a piece of paper. I mean, to what end, God knows. <laughs> you know, it didn't exactly make for riveting television. The person we haven't mentioned yet, which to an inhabitant of the Westminster bubble um, seems a lot, is Ruth Davidson, mm -hmm. because. Westminster politics is obsessed with Ruth Davidson mm. as being this sort of towering figure in Scottish politics, a, a, a different sort of Tory to the one mm. you see in uh, Westminster. How is she doing? What sort of campaign has she had? Well, I mean, in this instance, you know, the grass is always, you know, more blue, um, if you like. Um, you know, that Ruth looks very impressive when seen from a distance, and, and for good reason. And so, um, you know, she's a natural communicator. She loves a fight. Uh, she loves getting stuck in. She has the common touch. She will speak to anyone, anywhere, anytime. Um, you know, in that sense, you know, she really is the polar opposite of Theresa May. Um, uh, uh, and so you could see why people are uh, attracted to her. Um, 
And she has had a good campaign uh, thus far. Uh, you know, the Tory message in Scotland is um, extremely simple. I mean, if you if you think that strong and stable, um, although that's now a bit of a joke, obviously, yeah. if you think that strong and stable is a tiresome and boring and repetitive slogan, so you ain't seen nothing compared to the uh, Tory campaign in Scotland, which is entirely one note, one message. Vote Tory to say no to a second independence referendum. And so finally, I suppose I should ask you, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> uh, well, I, I have a suspicion that the SNP will lose half a dozen seats, maybe a few more than that, but these will be shared between the opposition parties. That Labour will win one, uh, the Liberal Democrats will win two, maybe three um, uh, seats there, Edinburgh West. Uh, Orkney and Shetland they'll hold and Eastern Bartonshire is a real possibility for them. Uh, the, the real action though, a lot of the real action of course in this election comes in the northeast of Scotland in Murray and Banff and Buck and West Aberdeen and Concarden, Aberdeen South uh, and then you know, Perth and North Perthshire as well. Um, that these rural seats, SNP strongholds many of them, uh, you know Murray has been an SNP seat since 1987, Banff and Buck and almost as long as that as well. Um, the, the question there is will the Tories be able to unseat people like Angus Robertson in Murray, people like Pete Wishart in Perthshire, and I wonder if they actually will be able to. Uh, so if we just find it, on election night, what's, what's the one seat in Scotland that you'll be keeping an eye on? Where's the, where's the most action? Well, Murray is very interesting because it's um, a seat that was basically 50-50 in the Brexit referendum, uh, heavily voted no in 2014, but has been an SNP seat since 1987, and of course is the seat of Angus Robertson, uh, the, Westmin the SNP leader at Westminster. Uh, and that, at the moment, people are suggesting is basically a, a, um, you know, a coin toss as to yeah. who's going to win that. I would guess that Angus will hold on, but, um, but there are you know, close friends of his and so on who are deeply worried about his electoral process in this election. Well, there's plenty to keep an eye on and mm. you seem to be enjoying it. But so, oh, it's uh, great fun. We should have these things every year. <laughs> Scotland has it. Well, well, yes. <laughs> Alex Massey, thank you very much. So I'm now sort of, I won't say lost, walking through a very picturesque bit of woodland underneath the railway line in search of Ruth Davidson. I found out it's due to be in this area out by the uh, rail fourth bridge so we'll see if we can find the Scottish Tory leader who's hoping to oversee some major electoral shocks on June the 8th. Ruth Davidson how how's the campaign going how, how excited are you about what I am next week? Well you know me I, I enjoy campaigning uh, I, I love getting out around the country speaking to people so so far uh, this week I've been uh, with a potato farmer in Angus uh, I'm off to do a, a television uh, debate tonight uh, over at the BBC in Glasgow I've been all around the country I'm off up north next week so you know campaigns I love them just as well because we have so many of them in Scotland. And does it feel like something's happening after so, it's been such a long time of you know there only being one Tory MP in Scotland does it feel like that's going to change? Well, I, I think there's a huge recognition now in a way that there never has been in, in my time in politics that uh, the battle in Scotland right now is between the SNP uh, and the Scottish Conservatives and, and you know polling shows that it's us that are able to take seats off the SNP right across the country. Now we can only do that uh, if people either haven't voted for us for a long time or, or haven't even voted for us at all uh, decide to lend us their vote at this election and that's what we're asking people from the Labour Party, Liberal Democrats and actually some SNP switchers to do as well. Um, so we'll find out, the proof of the pudding is in the eating as they say, so we'll find out on June the 9th how we've done. And what would you rather have? Would you rather have 10 MPs or would you rather get Angus Robertson? <laughs>
Um, I think uh, I want to make sure that we've got a good amount of representation from Scotland. Obviously, I do. Because I think one of the issues that we've had in the past is that, um, particularly since 2015, um, we've had an awful lot of people being sent to Westminster from Scotland who don't actually want Scotland to be part of the United Kingdom and don't want, to, therefore, to have any Scottish MPs at all in the House of Commons. Actually, I want to send people down there uh, who are going to deliver for Scotland rather than try and create division between Scotland and the rest of the UK. And how badly affected have you been by the by the wobble down south, Theresa May's wobble? Well, I, I mean, I, I think uh, we run an incredibly disciplined campaign up here. Um, you know, we're also <laughs> unlike some people. No, 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 I'm not. This is, a, you know, I'm just talking yeah, about ourselves. Yeah. And to be honest, um, because I'm in charge of the party in Scotland, and because the issues have been slightly different in Scotland, you know, sort of day one of the campaign, Nicola Sturgeon came out and said she was going to make independence the focus of her general election campaign. That changed the battlefield for all of us in Scotland, and, and that became another constitutional fight that we've seen so often before in Scotland. So some of the issues that are happening down south. Actually, you know, they're, they're not relevant here because that's not what we're voting on. And what's the mark that you think that you need to get to to put the lid back on independence and to stop this being the perpetual sort of national conversation? Well, I mean, I, I think it's going to be pretty clear um, that after June the 8th, and we'll, we'll find out on June the 9th, that um, sort of peak nationalist has passed in Scotland. And, and I, I think, you know, you're already seeing some pundits saying that, that once that happens, it will be a fast fall because no one can uh, survive political gravity forever. You know, I, I'm, I'm always very cautious. I, I don't like making predictions. Um, in the five and a half years that I've been leader of the party in Scotland, this is my eighth national campaign, uh, six elections and two referenda, and I refuse to make predictions <laughs> in any of them. I very politely refuse, but I refuse nonetheless, uh, and I'm not sure that I want to start making predictions now. That's a fool's game. And just, just finally, what's the, your relation with Number 10 like now compared to... 2015 campaign. Do you feel more engaged? Do you more listen to than previously? Well, it's good. I mean, obviously, I knew the prime minister before she became yeah. prime minister, um, and uh, we had a good relationship when she worked at the, the Home Office, and and a lot of the campaign dean down south, so um, Lyndon Crosby, Mark Texer, uh, they're the same. Uh, again, you know, because I'm in charge of the party up here, um, this is a, a Scottish campaign. Um, so while we help each other and work with resources, and I'm always uh, appreciative of, of of the support that I get, um, you know, the decision that are being made up here are mine and, and therefore if uh, if we don't do as well as some people are predicting then I'll take responsibility for that um, if we do do well then you know you get, I, you get the credit well no I was going to say <laughs> I, I, will, I will credit my amazingly hard-working team uh, up here in, including the, the candidates themselves who the energy levels we've had in, in Scotland I mean we've just literally come off the back of a local government election campaign which was the whole country every single councillor in Scotland was up for grabs every town hall was up for grabs uh, so we've been on full election mode since the, the turn of the year Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. To find out if it's right for you. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. And we haven't, you know, there hasn't been a break, we haven't stopped. So I, I can only credit the energy and the discipline of, of my team, which I, I think has been phenomenal. And uh, I know you say you like campaigning. What's the worst bit of campaigning? What's the bit you really don't like? Um... Do you know, I I just like it. I mean, I think if you don't like going around the country talking to people about politics, don't be a politician. You know, it's, it's, it's dead easy. So, um, yeah, I, I do. I just enjoy getting out from behind the desk. I enjoy meeting folk. I enjoy seeing that actually not everybody lives in the same sort of politics-obsessed bubble that we do. And it's quite nice to remind yourself of that every now and again. Do you think it would have been good if Theresa got out from behind a desk and t- taken part in the debate? Well, the thing is, I, I really know I know, and I, I really appreciate that she wants to do the doorstep stuff, yeah. and she does that. And she's, she's actually, in my opinion, um, probably a, a lot more comfortable uh, with punters than she is with hacks like yourself. And, yeah. and you know, um, I, you know, I don't blame her for that, because I, I enjoy that part of the job too. Like that's, that's the bit that I enjoy the most. I think we'll see... A lot of posters with a lot of egg on their face. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not naming <laughs> well, that's one in particular. Annual, that's like an annual tradition. Well, do you know, it is a little bit of an annual tradition. But uh, like I say, I'm not making predictions. I'll maybe tell you off a microphone what my, my views are for the for the, the national picture. Well, that's good. I know you're about to be dragged off in a car yeah. the next stage. Mm. Uh, thank you very much. Absolutely. Great match. Thanks. Well, after waving off Ruth Davidson and she headed off to her next campaign stop, I confess I did pop into the pub. A uh, pint of uh, the local ale and a fish finger sandwich to get me through the rest of the day. Now it's marching back to the same woods again, back towards the train station, and off to Glasgow, where I hope to track down John Curtis, the polling guru. Hope that uh, he might be able to shed some light on what's really going on in Scotland. So I've now managed to track down uh, Professor John Curtis of the University of Strathclyde, the, one of the busiest men in politics, uh, try to crunch the numbers and see what's actually going on uh, in this election campaign. So I suppose my first question, John, is what is going on? What are the trends that, rather the, the obsession in politics is on individual polls and that sort of thing, but what for you is, is actually going on? Oh, I mean, the, the, the trend, at least since the end of April, has been very, very clear. And that is the Labour Party has gradually, but persistently and consistently been gaining ground. And latterly, at least, the Conservatives have also been losing a certain amount of ground. And as a result, whereas the Prime Minister started this election in the opinion polls with a 16-point lead, 
a lead that temporarily at least increased to about 20 points in the wake of a rush of UKIP voters to the to Conservatives. Uh, that lead, if you take the average of all of the polls that's been conducted in the last seven or eight days or so, is now down to eight points. Um, and although there are differences between the pollsters in terms of where exactly they think we now are, every single polling company has identified a clear swing to Labour. And an election that in truth, until two, three weeks ago, frankly did look, or, you know, relatively boring <laughs> and, um, you know, largely, you know, all over by the shouting has proven to be rather interesting. Now, I think at this point we should say the Conservatives are still, on average, eight points ahead. And people may be saying, well, hang on, surely that therefore means the Conservatives are going to win. Um, indeed, isn't actually eight points quite a big lead. Well, there's two things to bear in mind here. The first is that the Prime Minister's objective in this holding this election was not simply to win. It was to win a landslide because she feels she needs a landslide to ensure that any compromise she meets with the European Union will be able to pass the scrutiny of the House of Commons, not least perhaps enabling her to override uh, concerns amongst some of the more harder Brexiteers within her own parliamentary party. Um, point one. The second thing that everybody had to bear in mind is that it took a seven-point lead in 2015 to give the Tories a majority of just 12 that the Prime Minister now thinks is inadequate. And indeed, we should bear in mind that a slightly bigger lead in 2010 proved to be inadequate to get any majority at all. And that it has got more difficult these days, even though the Liberal Democrats um, have uh, you know, fallen away, it's got more difficult to win large majorities in the UK. Two simple reasons. The first is that Scotland, for the most part, is now out of the frame. Neither Conservative nor Labour can win large number of seats north of the border, although the Conservatives may pick up some on this occasion. The second is that England has increasingly geographically divided. It divided yet further in 2015. Those places that were relatively Labour became yet more Labour. Those places became more, were already relatively Conservative became more Conservative. The result of that is that there are therefore relatively few marginal seats in England and certainly not very many seats the Conservatives pick up easily. Therefore, Mrs May needs a very large lead nationally or a great deal of luck with the electoral geography to be able to actually get an overall majority. So we're not talking about is there any prospect of the Labour Party getting most seats? Um, is there any significant prospect at the moment of Jeremy Corbyn becoming Prime Minister? No. But we are talking about will this be uh, a, a decision to call an election by the Prime Minister be regarded as a failure, not just by commentators but by her fellow MPs, and that therefore, rather than emerging from this election liberated from the hard Brexiteers and Hitler from our party, and as uh, somebody whose authority is clearly strengthened, will emerge as a weakened leader who, is, who hasn't managed to liberate herself from her hard Brexiteers and will find herself in a more difficult position uh, than she was in a uh, six week, four, five, six weeks ago. And of course, things have moved such that, at least according to some polls, we can't entirely rule out the possibility that she might lose her majority entirely, which leaves us with at least the perhaps rather intriguing prospect that unless the Labour vote implodes in the last week, it looks as though Jeremy Corbyn's position is safe, <laughs> whereas the Prime Minister's position, shall we say, no longer looks entirely 100% safe. Um, and that, therefore, the election that was meant to in con consign Jeremy Corbyn to the uh, 
footnotes of Labour Party history um, may instead um, mean, uh, uh, come back to bite the Prime Minister quite seriously. And just because, of, as you said, Scotland's sort of out of the picture, the, the south of England is, is very Tory, the north of England is very low, are national polls basically pointless? Because they don't tell us a huge amount about what's actually going to happen in the parts of the country that, that, that matter? Well, it's certainly true that uh, certainly uh, both at la the last election and this one, you need to look at Scotland separately. Yeah. That much is clear. That said, however, um, uh, while Scotland is very, very different, um, England and Wales still tend to swing in much the same direction at the same time, albeit perhaps to, uh, to different degrees. And indeed, one of the interesting things which you can identify from national polls if you put enough yeah. of them together, is that the evidence has been hitherto that the Conservative advance is stronger in the north of England, that it's weaker in the south of, uh, south of England, and that at least for so long as the Conservatives were apparently advancing nationally, that was potentially advantageous to Theresa May because it was, should mean that she ends up with a bigger majority than she would otherwise get for any given lead. However, I think one of the most interesting things about the YouGov exercise that was done, which caused so much controversy, is that actually, given that what they were modelling was a three-point national lead, well, the truth is that through the three-point three lead, it is pretty likely that, the cons that nobody will get an overall majority. And that intriguingly, whereas lots of other exercises, such as Lord Ashcroft's exercise, very similar, using a very similar statistical methodology, but also lots of other polling data, uh, were all pointing to the Conservatives being advantaged by the electoral geography, perhaps, if indeed, we are looking at the possibility of there being a national swing to Labour, then actually the electoral geography may not work to the Conservatives' advantage. I think that's certainly um, arguably even bigger question that's hung over the election of resort of the YouGov exercise. It's not just that YouGov are saying the lead is three points. They're also saying that actually with a three-point lead, the electoral geography isn't going to help the Conservatives in a way that a lot of the estimates that have said, oh, the Tories might get a majority of 100, were effectively assuming. And on election night, what's the seat which you're sort of most excited about? What's the one that... that we well, it almost watching? inevitably, as somebody who has a degree of responsibility for the exit poll, um, the first seat in which I am uh, inevitably going to be somewhat excited is whatever comes first. <laughs> which um, is normally Sunderland. Uh, which is normally Sunderland. Now, actually, in 2015, Sunderland didn't tell us anything because... Uh, our model for, uh, out of the base of the exit poll, said that the Labour Party was going to do relatively well in Yorkshire and in the North East, and that therefore, as a result, we were actually expecting a swing in, uh, to Labour in Sunderland, which was not dissimilar to the swing that was being anticipated by the opinion polls. So actually, the result came in more or less in line with what the exit poll was saying, but that didn't enable us to say whether or not it was uh, Sunderland. Uh, whether it was us that were right or whether, in fact, it was the national opinion polls were right. It was only when later data came in. I mean, I mean, certainly in terms of 2015, I mean, the two pieces of information that proved crucial, actually one was, I think it was Swindon South, was the first marginal seat to kick in and the Conservatives were holding it. The second thing is um, the BBC's West Midlands political editor, who knows his onions, basically came on from Nuneaton and said in code, the Conservatives have got it. And at that mark, we began visibly to relax because although we wouldn't necessarily be spot on and indeed we weren't spot on we knew we were at least roughly right 
Um, so it's whatever comes in early. Because one of the things that the exit poll does, and one of the things you'll see, at least if you watch the BBC, the BBC does with the exit poll data, is it says, well, look, if the exit poll is right, this is what we expect in this constituency, which provides you with a benchmark very, very rapidly as to whether things are in line or out of line or not. Um, and we discovered that things were indeed, for the most part, you know, roughly in line, and therefore we were at least roughly right. You could relax a bit. And how, how does this election com compare to previous elections? Well, I'm, I'm, well I mean, it, 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 it compares in, in the sense that uh, rather markedly different. I mean, we have never previously had a general election in which both major parties have recorded a significant and substantial increase in support during the course of the campaign. And in the case of the Conservatives now, some of that perhaps uh, uh, going back down in the other direction. We did, of course, have the Clegmania of 2010, but the truth is, you know, in a, oh, that, that was could be regarded as an exaggerated reflection of something that usually happens in elections where the Liberal Democrat vote tends to go up as they get more publicity. And of course, one of the intriguing things about this election so far is that seemingly the Liberal Democrat vote hasn't gone up. Um, and the result of that, therefore, you know, I mean, usually in many election campaigns, nothing, nothing happened in 2015. It was just that it, the polls mistakenly told us it was very close in the first place. Now, actually, even that's not, even if the polls had been correct, we would have been speculating about a hung parliament. Because if, you were, if the average of the polls was a seven point lead, we would have had some three and four point leads, and others saying, no, it's nine or ten. Um, so people sometimes, I think, exaggerate the degree to which the polling error in 2015 did actually misframe the election campaign. But, you know, the truth is, uh, so we would still have had a degree of excitement, but the excitement was generated by the level, not by the trend. Now, this is an election that started off where the level looked very boring indeed, other than unless, unless you are somebody who was interested in things like, well, might it be possible for the Conservatives to win seats that they've not won since the 1930s? But shall we say that's a relatively anorak <laughs> fascination. It's a bit niche. Um, uh, whereas now we've got something where, although we're still not looking at election, where we're asking ourselves who's going to win, but an election where, as it were, the political purpose of the Prime Minister, her authority, and perhaps the unity of her government seem now to be at stake. And that's pretty exciting. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. John Curtis, thank you very much. You're welcome. So I'm joined now by Hamish MacDonald, the Scottish political editor of The Times. Hamish, when we're seeing the results coming in on Thursday night, what we should be looking out for? And what, what are the trends behind the results that will tell us whether or not there has been this much talked about Tory breakthrough? It should be fairly easy. If you can think back the last election, the SNP won 56 of Scotland's 59 seats. So the map of Scotland almost turned completely yellow. So what we were looking for is if there is a Tory revival, some of those yellow constituencies turning blue. But I think the Tories are going to find it difficult. They will win some. There are some where they're very, very close and you expect them to, to, to take those seats. But they were going to find it tough because for the, for the SNP to lose those seats to the Tories, the votes have to come and the swing has to come from the SNP to the Tories. And so far, all the evidence seems to suggest that the SNP vote is holding up quite well. And it's the Labour vote which has been collapsing. Now, if the Labour vote collapses and goes to the Tories, that's great, but it doesn't actually give the Tories that little bit extra they need to get over the line. So I think that, you know, that there have been predictions at the start, we see maybe 12, 15 of these seats going to the Tories. I think that's ambitious. I think that they may win three, four seats, but to get more than that, they have to start winning over those SNP voters. And as yet, there's not a great deal of sign that that's happened. And what impact is, does Theresa May have in Scotland? 
when I spoke to Liz Davis, she was very keen to stress that she was in charge in Scotland. Relations with Number 10 were very good, but she was in charge in Scotland. I think she sort of said it several times. I think the impact that Theresa May has in Scotland has <coughs> perhaps changed over the course of the campaign. That if you'd asked people at the start of the campaign, they would have said what most people in Britain would have said, that Theresa May you know, it is, is not exactly the most exciting politician, but she was a safe pair of hands and probably quite a good person to lead the country through a time of, of difficulty, like Brexit. But because the campaign has not gone very well for the Conservatives in the UK as a whole, Ruth Davidson and the rest of the Conservatives in Scotland have been putting some distance between themselves and Number 10. It'll be interesting to see whether the Prime Minister comes back up to Scotland before the end of the campaign. She may do, but I think that you will also see the Scottish Conservatives very much pushing Ruth Davidson as the figurehead. She is successful up here. She is popular. She has cut through in a way that Conservative leaders in Scotland have not done for a generation, and they don't want to have that spoiled by a Prime Minister who looks, at the very least, to be slightly wobbly. It's going to be fascinating stuff. Thank you very much, Hamish. So as I come to the end of my trip to Scotland, one of the really striking things is the extent to which independence still hangs in the air. During a couple of hours standing on Princess Street in Edinburgh, it was raised voluntarily by almost everyone. But what's interesting is that in England, voting cuts across Brexit. So you've got Remainers now voting Tory, you've got some Leavers who vote Lib Dem. But in Scotland, where Scots stand on the future of the Union, dominates above all else. This suits both Nicola Sturgeon and Ruth Davidson, who sought to turn this general election campaign essentially into a referendum on having a second independence referendum. Nicola Sturgeon saying that whether or not the Tories increased their majority could come down to the outcome in Scotland. For the Tories, there's just one seat north of the border, the only way is up. Their estimates vary between winning a handful and up to ten. This could include, of course, taking some big scouts like Angus Robertson, the SNP leader in Westminster. In all the national coverage, the battle between Theresa May and Jeremy Corbyn dominates. But there are big shifts and big changes happening in Scotland that will be fascinating to watch as the results come in on Thursday night. As ever, do subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode when each one is released and sign up to my morning email briefing so you can wake up to all of the election news at thetimes.co.uk forward slash red box. But for now, for me, Matt Shawley in Scotland, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.